Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of CityWalk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with CityWalk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search CityWalk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Well, good morning, CityWalk. How are we doing? All right. I don't know if you could tell, but I'm not Pastor Chris. All right. Uh, But I am privileged and I'm honored, man, to be able to speak in front of you guys today and the fact that our teaching team trusts me uh, with this responsibility. So I'm just thankful. If this is your first time and you don't know me, my name is Matt Lynch. Um, Along with serving on the teaching team, I also work with our youth group, our city students, middle school and high school. So if you're in that age group, make sure you're at the pool party on Thursday, okay? Swimming, having some fun at the pool on Thursday, okay? Um, Also, man, if you don't know my family, uh, let me just show them real quick for you guys to get a little bit of a feel for who I am. So this is my wife right here. We've been married for seven years, praise God. There we go. Um, this right here is Karis. Right, Karis is four. This is Micah. Micah's going to be three next week. And this is Miles, who's 14 months. All right now, Karis, this is our boss, okay? Very great uh, leadership skills, if you want to call it that one. But she's a boss. She's in control of the house, okay? She's our oldest. She's the only girl. She may or may not have me wrapped around her finger, okay? But that's Karis for you. Uh, Micah... He's our Tasmanian devil all over the place, okay? 100 miles an hour. I don't think he walks around the house. He literally runs. Point A to point B, he's full speed ahead. He's really aggressive. You can ask Ethan and Edgar when they come over for city groups. Micah's like jumping on them, wrestling. That's just who he is. 100 miles an hour, Tasmanian devil. And Miles, Miles is literally just a mama's boy, okay? Karis was walking at eight months old. Micah was walking at nine months old. This dude's 14 months and is still being held and crawling, and he might take a couple of steps here and there, but um, not a whole lot, okay? He really just loves mommy, wants to be around mommy all the time, and you've probably seen that too. Uh, But one thing that I've noticed about raising kids and watching um, them grow up is no matter how, like, independent and leadership-minded, that's what I'm going to use, leadership-minded Karis is, no matter how dangerous and exploration-like Micah is, if my kids are in a situation or whatever's going on that they don't like, they know how to run to mommy and daddy, right? Now, in my house, I'm going to be honest, it's more so mommy, like 99% of the time. Every now and again, if they're going through a situation, they'll run to daddy. But you get what I'm trying to say. If they're in a situation, 99% of the time, they're running to mommy, right? And we've all been kids before, right? You probably remember that, or you raised kids, or you've been around kids. Kids don't go through many situations by themselves, right? If they stub their toe, guess what? They're running to mommy. If they're struggling putting their shoes on the right feet, guess what? They're running to mommy. If their tummy is growling and they're hungry, mommy, mommy, they're running to mommy, right? If somebody hurts their feelings at school or whatever, they're running to mommy. 
Right? And, you know, I used to get, like, insecure about it. Like, dang, daddy gets no love around here? What's up with that? But then, I, you know, I was like, I get it. I understand. Because when I come home from a long day at work, guess who I'm running to? You know what I'm saying? So I was like, I get it. I understand. But, but, but truth, truth be told, we know that in all situations of adversity, our kids, man, they run to us. They run to mommy. They run to daddy. And some of you, you probably already know where I'm going with this. But God is a comforter, God is a healer, God is a savior, God is a redeemer, and God so loved us that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But how often do we go through situations in our life and not run to Jesus, right? How often do we worry about finances, and we try to figure things out on our own, and we don't run to Jesus? How often do we battle sin, and we try to overcome it on our own strength, and we don't just run to Jesus? How often do we try to masquerade the things going on in our heart, our insecurities, our loneliness, our depression. We try to masquerade it with all kinds of stuff, and we'll do our best to put on a nice face, but at the end of the day, we know we need Jesus, and we don't run to him, right? We've all been there, right? It's nothing new, um, and sometimes those situations and those things, it's sometimes easier said than done, um, but as I was reading through Mark 5, I really felt um, that the direction for today that God really wants to encourage us, guys, he really wants us to encourage us to just run to him. Just let things go. Stop trying to figure things out on our, on our own. Stop trying to live in our own strength. And I feel like he really wants to encourage us to just let go and run to him. He wants us to understand um, just the power of approaching him in humility and approaching him with vulnerability, right? Um, so if you've read through Mark chapter 5, um, you, you know, we're going through that series, through the whole book this summer or whatever, but if you've read chapter 5 leading up to today, you've seen that the people in Mark chapter 5, they had some serious situations going on, right? Like, they were going through some stuff, and they needed Jesus. Um, so before we get into the text, like I said, we've been going through Mark chapter by chapter the last four weeks. This is week five. And uh, our teaching team has decided that the overarching theme um, for the book of Mark as we progress through this, it's going to be Mark 10.45, which is basically scripture that says, um, but the Son of Man did not come to serve, or did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's the overarching theme of, of our progress through Mark. But today, I want to set a framework for us as we look into chapter 5. Okay, this is the framework that I want us to kind of keep in mind. What we believe about Jesus shows in how we approach Jesus. Okay, I'm going to read that one more time. What we believe about Jesus shows in how we approach Jesus. So Mark chapter 5, um, you can turn to it if you want to. It'll be on the screen. But Mark chapter 5 opens up with this dramatic event where Jesus is casting demons out of a man, right? Like if this was an action movie, you'd be like, oh, snap, this is intense. This is crazy, right? Um, but let's, re let's read it. We'll hop into it um, and just follow along and read this. Verse 1 says this. They came to the other side of the sea, 
to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. Verse 3 says, he lived in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain. Because he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn them apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue this man. Uh, let, let's pause for a minute. All right. I don't know what it is, but every time I read this, I get this like cross visualization of like World War Z and the Incredible Hulk. Right? This guy's just coming from the tombs like, yo, what's up? I'm out here. Probably looking super scary, right? And it says that he was breaking chains off of his hands when they would shackle him and, and, and just demolishing them. Like nothing could have this man bound. And so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, if I saw this dude out in the distance, this is not somebody I would want approaching me by no means at all. He was obviously scary. He obviously had some real anger issues. And to see this man coming, walking towards me, I'd probably be tripping out. Like, hold up, pause. Y'all, let's get back in the boat. <laughs> We're going to go this way, right? Uh, but let's keep reading. Let's see what verse 5 says. Verse 5 says, Night and day, among the tombs, on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now, as we continue to read this, I want you to fight against the thought that this didn't happen. Because this is what I know. Even myself, sometimes we read scriptures and we read it as like, ah, oh, there, there must be something missing or maybe it didn't really happen like that. But no, this is a true event. This is just as trustworthy as all the information that we learn in history. Like this man was cutting himself with stones, yelling out into the night, breaking shackles. Like this man was possessed by something way beyond our imagination, right? So Fight against that thought of, oh, this is just some cool little story that's written into the Bible. And no, this is a true event. Verse 6 says this. When Jesus saw him from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. He cried out with a loud voice, what do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, come out of the man you unclean spirit. So let's go back to that framework. What we believe about Jesus shows in how we approach Jesus. Now this demon knew that he had come face to face with the God of the universe. And he knew that there was nothing that I can do So what does this demon do? The only thing that he could do was the demon comes running and bows and begs before the feet of Jesus. This demon didn't even have a thought of, oh, let me try to fight him. Oh, let me try to come against him. Oh, let me try to see if I can avoid this situation. No, this demon knew this is the God of the universe, and the only thing that I can do is to come and beg before his feet, right? The scriptures say that the demon ran and knelt. He bowed and he begged, and there was absolutely nothing he can do but submit. So that's what he did. Right, and as you read on, there's this kind of interesting dialogue going on where the demon's like, don't send me out of this region. I don't want to leave this region or whatever. And there's a, a, a herd of swine over here. And so the demon's like, send us into the pigs over there. Send us into the swine. And Jesus does that. He sends him into the swine. 
And it sounds like really weird, like why would Jesus send them into the demons into the pigs? Like what, what's going on there? Um, but I want us to bring us back to that overarching theme of our, our, our journey through the book of Mark so we can get a perspective of what Jesus' goals actually were. So we're going to put up on the screen this time. But Mark 10.45 says this, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His primary objective was not to send demons back to hell, although he could, right? We agree. He's Jesus. He could have wanted to know. But his primary objective was to serve us, to heal us, to free us, to deliver us, and to love us. And just as Paul wrote in the book of Philippians, he said, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And through this encounter in Mark chapter 5, we can get a glimpse of the power of Jesus, and we can see through this encounter that all things, all principalities will submit to Jesus. They submit to Jesus then, during this story, They submit to Jesus now in 2021, and they will submit to Jesus forever, point blank period. Jesus delivered this man, set him free, gave him a new life in front of everybody, mission accomplished. That's what it was about. And as we read on, um, that's one encounter. There's a couple of different encounters in Mark chapter 5, but if you haven't read through it, uh, there's a second encounter that I want us to kind of learn something from. Uh, something I think Jesus wants to teach us. So we're going to hop to verse 21 and take a look at this second encounter. It says, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat, man, he's always in the boat, right? If you're, if you're seasick, you wouldn't want to hang out with Jesus. Good luck with that. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. Verse 22 says, One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so she can get well. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now, this is not a normal situation, guys. Let's bring a little context out of this. So Jairus was a synagogue leader, right? Now, if you've been with us as we've been going through our journey of Mark, we've learned through the first four chapters that those synagogue leaders were the same people that were anti-Jesus. So he's from the same clique of people that were like, oh, Jesus is empowered by demons. That's why he can cast out demons. Jairus is part of the same clique of people that were like, oh, he's blaspheming. He said that he can forgive sins, right? He's part of that same clique that was like, no, Jesus is not who he says he is, that same group of anti-Jesus people, Jairus is part of that same group of people. So this is not a normal situation. This, this encounter of Jairus laying his, feet, laying his hands before Jesus at his feet was potentially social suicide for Jairus, right? He was risking all his cool points with the religious leaders. He's leaving it all behind him, and and falling at the feet of Jesus and risking his reputation, risking what people thought about him, and just laying it all down right before Jesus. And for us being 2,021 years uh, removed from this situation, 
it might be hard for us to like register like what the climate was and how religious leaders tried to like uphold this image. Um, but this was a big deal for Jairus to do this. This was a big deal. He was among the most like highest reputation, highest of popularity amongst the religious people. And for him, in front of everybody, to fall at Jesus' feet was a very big deal. But even though that happened, I I read through this several times, and I have have a a lot of thoughts that come to my mind. And the first thought was, I don't think that Jairus' daughter got sick that day, right? If you read through the scriptures, it says that um, people were already at the house at the time of his daughter's passing, right? So it wasn't like this was a, all of a sudden a car accident. Well, there were no cars, a horse accident or whatever. It wasn't something that was all of a sudden like, oh, no, tragedy, come to my house. You know, like she was progressively in a state of, uh, of dying, and we don't know what it was. It could have been some form of cancer. Some, we, we don't know what it is, right? But it didn't happen that day. And so it leads me to this thought. What was Jairus hesitating for? Right? Like, what was his hesitation? His daughter was in a terminal condition for what we can assume was a couple of days, maybe as long as a week. So why wait until the last minute? Why would you wait until the last minute? I mean, he had heard that Jesus was casting out demons, right? That was like going all over the land. He had heard that Jesus healed a paralyzed man. He had heard Jesus healed the man with the shriveled hand, but he hesitated, right? He waited to the last minute knowing that his daughter's days were numbered. And what's crazy is I see myself. And I think if we agree, we can all say we see ourselves in the fact that we do the same thing. We hear how Jesus is changing people's lives, calling them from darkness to light, calling them from death to life. We hear how Jesus is moving in people's lives, and sometimes we kind of watch from a distance, and we're just like, oh, okay, well, that must be cool. And when we go through our situations and, and we hear that somebody's gone through a similar situation and God has pulled them out. We kind of just hesitate. And we're like, uh, maybe, maybe for you, but not for me. And we try to get control and we try to fix all of our situations. And we try to compress sin as much as we can. And we try to put everything in our own control instead of running to Jesus. And we've heard and we've seen right here in our gathering people running to Jesus and their lives are changed. But we're like, no, 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 I'm going to handle this. I'm, I'm going to I'm, I'm get in control. And so what I think the battle was in Jairus' mind, I think what, if I were to put myself in his shoes and think about who he was and some of the thoughts he may have, I think what, what the battle was in Jairus' mind was people's perception of him and his identity, right? I could see him hearing about Jesus, everything that Jesus is doing in the land, all the people he's saving, all the people he's healing, And then I could see him look at his situation. Man, my daughter's dying. But then he's thinking about his reputation. Oh, man, I can't. I can't come to Jesus, man. 
Now, everybody will, everybody will think I'm crazy. If, if, if I go to Jesus for help, they're going to think that um, I, I can't handle this. Or they're going to think that, that maybe, uh, maybe we don't have it right. Maybe they're going to think that I'm going against, you know, what, what everybody else is saying. Because at this time, remember, the religious leaders were saying that, nah, he can't be the Messiah, not Jesus. So if I go to, if I go to him, it's going to make everything look like we don't know what we're talking about. And I can see him again just hearing. Jesus is still doing all kinds of stuff. Days are going on. He hears about Jesus. He looks at his situation. But then he's like, nah, I can't. I can't. My, my percept, the people's perception of me, my identity, I got to uphold this image of, of, of who I am uh, in the land. And he's just constantly going back and forth, hearing about Jesus, looking at his situation but hesitating because he's worried about his reputation, people's perception of him, until finally he couldn't resist anymore. Jesus is the answer, and I need him now. And I think that's the same thing for some of us. Sometimes we need to just say, Jesus is the answer for this situation, and I need him now. What am I hesitating for? So let's go back to that main theme for today. What we believe about Jesus shows in how we approach Jesus. What I believe about Jesus shows in how I approach Jesus. What you believe about Jesus is shown in how you approach Jesus. Now, if you've been around City Walk for a while, like I said a minute ago, we've been privileged to see people's lives changed right in front of our gathering. And I really like the model that we go through with baptism. Um, anybody who comes forward for baptism, they meet with one of the pastors, and we kind of get to hear their story, and then we help them write out their testimony. And before they get baptized, they share their testimony publicly that this is where my life was. This is what Jesus has done. And baptism doesn't save me, but baptism is a declaration to tell people that I am running to Jesus. And I'm letting go, and I'm going in this direction with the Father, right? And so it's a, it's a very cool opportunity that some of us have seen and we've heard, even in the midst of our own gathering. But I know that there's still some of us today. We hear what Jesus is doing. We see what Jesus is doing. But we still got certain things in our heart that we're holding on to. Could be like Jairus. Man, I don't know what people are going to say about me if I, if I stop doing this and give my life to Jesus. You know, I, I, I've built up this identity and this image, and I'll look like I'm weak if I surrender my life to Jesus. And we get worried about the same tension that Jairus has. Right? We get worried about people's perception of us and our identity and the culture that we live in, or the household that we live in. Because some of us might be in households where nobody's following Jesus, right? And so if I were to give my life to Jesus, it would go against everything that maybe my family thinks, or maybe it would go against everything my friends think, right? And we get caught up in this tension of our perception, people's perception, our identity. Now, I want to give a small example. This, this might help you out. So... To me, I think worship is probably one of the most optimal times for us to come running to Jesus, right? Worship is not about how we feel 
when we walk into this door, right? Now, if we, if we allowed how we feel to dictate our worship, we might not worship that often. Because I don't know about you, but I go through stuff in my life. I get frustrated. I get irritated. I get angry. And if I allow my emotions to dictate my worship, I might just be like, man, I ain't got time for none of this, right? But worship is an optimal time because worship is a moment for us to lower our pride and exalt Jesus, right? Worship is a time for us to become vulnerable before Jesus and to admit to ourselves, I need Jesus. I, I need him now, so I'm running to him now. I, sometimes you guys see me, when I'm lifting my hands in worship, it is not because I am super Christian, super, super, like, got it together. No, for me, when I lift my hands, it's symbolic for me saying, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm running to you now. Lord, I do not have it figured out, not one bit. And for some of us, vulnerability looks different. It's not about necessarily raising your hands or, or that, but it's about the heart posture, Right? And how we get to that place of vulnerability that says, Jesus, I'm running to you. And so for some of you, it might be singing the words on the screen. Right? You might be here in worship and you feel like this, you know, you feel this like kind of pull at your heart and Jesus is trying to engage with you and your heart's starting to feel this little weird thing and you're just pushing it down like, I don't want to feel this like this, you know, I don't want to feel the spirit kind of making me feel all sensitive and all soft right now, so we don't even want to show no emotions. So we're just looking at the screen like this. What's crazy is those same people be coming out of church, man, worship was lit. It was dope. And I'd be like, wait, hold up. You was like this, right? But it doesn't mean that God's not moving, but I want to encourage you guys to allow yourself to get to that place of vulnerability, right? For some of us, it might be just closing your eyes and focusing on God. Right? It gets uncomfortable sometimes and awkward in the midst of worship where people are like raising their hands, they're singing. And so for you, you get distracted and you're just looking around. And now you're not even really trying to engage with God. You're just like, man, look at that person over there. They really going in on worship. Oh, oh man, why is he wearing that today? Doesn't he realize this is church? Or... And then we start just thinking about all kinds of other stuff in the midst of worship. And so for you, really becoming vulnerable might just be, you know what, eliminate distractions by closing your eyes. And allow the lyrics to really speak to your heart. And for some of us, you might be like me. You might, you might just need to start putting your palms up like this or raising your hands like this and just becoming vulnerable before the Father and saying, Jesus, I need you. Here I am. And it might be nerve-wracking, right? But here's what I've come to find out. Jesus will meet you in your place of vulnerability. He will meet you. I remember a time when I was in church. This is when I was kind of first started walking with Jesus at like 19, and I'm at a service, and I really wanted to just be like, let's go, Jesus, come on, and I fought it the entire time, just like, nah, 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 and when I left, I felt the Holy Spirit say, you could have started revival in that service because what I wanted to release in your worship would have spread to the rest of the sanctuary. And I said, I will never resist that again. If I feel the Holy Spirit leading me to go like this, go like this, sing the lyrics, I will always allow the Holy Spirit to have his way so I can connect with Jesus because it might bless the person next to me. You just never know. But God will meet you in that place of vulnerability. So this is what I got to say. 
if you need some Jesus, go get some Jesus. Do not hesitate. If it means like this, if it means singing, if it means focusing, but if you need some Jesus, let's go get some Jesus. Now, there's a text that I want to share, and this text helps me to keep my mind framed on just the power of humility and vulnerability, and it helps me to keep my heart in line when I try to be self-sufficient, when I try to be prideful. Um, So let's hop into James chapter 4, and this scripture helps me out, and it might help out somebody else. So James chapter 4, verse 4 says this, you adulterous people, right, what a great start, you know. I could have started on verse 3, right? Verse 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world actually becomes an enemy of God. Verse 5, or do you think that it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit that he may dwell in us envies intensely, right? This is a message of loyalty and obedience, right? When you become a follower of Jesus and he deposits his Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit's job is to bring us to a place of loyalty and dependence on Jesus. The Spirit's job is to get us to this place where we are obedient and loyal. So what it's saying is there's times where the things of the world might pull at us and we might be tempted to get allow our hearts go this way, But the Holy Spirit, that's where that conviction comes from. That's where that challenge comes from. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to move us to a place of loyalty and obedience in our relationship with Jesus. And verse 6 says this. This is where it gets good. Because we've all felt that tension. Oh, I want to go this way a little bit. But the Holy Spirit's like, no, 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 no. Loyalty, obedience. All right, verse 6 says this. He gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, that word grace is also a word that could be uh, a synonym for power or for strength, right? So God gives us the grace that we need. So when we fill our hearts wanting to go a certain way, when we fill our hearts wanting to gain control in a situation, when we fill our hearts wanting to put everything in our power to fix it, he's saying he opposes that, that proudness but he'll exalt the humble. Your strength will come at the moment of your humility. Your power that you need from the Holy Spirit will come in that place of vulnerability. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's okay to let go, because when I let go, I get power. It's okay to release control, because when I release control in my own strength and run to Jesus, I get strength. It's a beautiful thing. And simply put, grace is for the humble. It's beautiful. Freedom from sin is for the humble. Confidence in our identity is for the humble. And victory over the pressures of this world is for the humble. About a week ago, um, I I saw a video, and this video, it just broke me down. And some of you guys have probably already seen it, but I don't care. You're going to watch it again. You've probably heard of Nightbird. But this video wrecked my life. Right, uh, this woman, uh, she has a 2% chance of living. Uh, she's battling cancer. Uh, her husband left her all in the same year. And you want to talk about a situation, right? She's definitely in a situation. 
And in this song, she invites us to let go. She invites us to let go of trying to hold everything together on our own. And she invites us to let go of pretending and let go of masquerading our problems. And she invites us to stop acting like we have it all in control. Um, And it's just beautiful. But um, I'm going to let the video play, and I'm going to hush for a minute, and I'll I'll see you guys as I take a water break. (laughs) And then the crowd goes wild. (laughs) All right? But what an invitation, right? What an invitation to just let go. Right, what, what an invitation to let go of our hurts from the past or the present, uh, an invitation to let go of our disappointments, uh, an invitation to let go of um, the fact that we don't have it all in control, right? To just let go and say we need Jesus. See, Jairus at the feet of Jesus was Jairus letting go, letting go of identity letting go of people's perception, letting go of this prestige and this image. Right? Jairus at the feet of Jesus was him saying, I'm letting go of it all. Right? And what I've come to find out is, for us, it could be something different. Right? But I think that we all have something that tries to creep into our heart that we want to hold on to. Right? So what, what is it for you? What is it for me? Right? For some of us, um, it could be our family and our children. Right? We don't trust the sovereignty of God, and we don't trust the power of prayer. And so we're always trying to control situations. And it's okay to care for your children, to want to love God, but we can't force anything. We don't change man's heart. Only God does. So rather than praying for our family and praying for our children, we always try to manipulate and put them in situations and force conversation and do this and do that and do this and do that, and we don't let go and we don't pray. Right? Guilty, but we do that. And for some of us, it's our past, right? It's hard to let go of our past. Raise your hand if you've never made a mistake. <sighs> if, I, if I laid out all my mistakes, that joint would hit the ground, and it would roll all the way to that back door. My track record is serious, right? And for some of us, we've made some mistakes that are so hard for us to let go of, and we don't forgive ourselves even though God is like, I forgive you. Embrace me in this relationship. Let it go, and let's grow. Let's grow together. I'm not asking you to be perfect today. I'm not asking you to be perfect tomorrow, but let it go, and let's grow together. And some of us, it's, it's just simple sin in our life, right? Because here's the thing. We make habits out of sin, and sin becomes comfortable even though it's not healthy. So even though it's comfortable, we continue in mindsets and life cycles and habits of sin, and we want to hold on to it, and we say, man, I've always been this way. You're going to have to deal with my bad attitude. Oh, I've always been this way, right? And so we don't want to let go because we've been comfortable in a lifestyle of sin, right? But we can let go, and we can run to Jesus, and we can get our freedom. And for others, it's our future, right? We stress about where we're going to be tomorrow, or maybe you're retired, right? And a lot of your identity was found in your career. And now you're retired and you're looking forward and you're like, God, I don't know where I fit. I don't know what's next. And so we try to do this and we try to do that. And we kind of sit in this place of like, 
I don't know what my purpose is anymore. I don't fit in. And instead of engaging in Jesus even more and saying, Lord, where's my next step? We try to figure that out on our own. Or maybe, maybe it's your marriage, right? That joint is tough. <laughs> Married life is tough. It's also beautiful, but we're going to go through moments, right? Again, who has had a perfect marriage? <laughs> Counsel me, <laughs> right? We, we all go through challenging times, right? But instead of trying to force somebody into our box and forcing our spouse to think the way we think or do things exactly the way we want to think and we eliminate grace for their life and we try to get control over our spouse and say, I need you to do this, I need you to live like this, and we have very little grace and we don't let go and say, Jesus, teach me how to love my spouse. Jesus, teach me how to serve my spouse. And as you work on me, Jesus, I believe in your sovereign hand, you will work on my spouse's heart and we will grow together, closer to you and closer together. Like I said earlier, some of these things are easier said than done. I'm not saying walk out this door and everything's gonna change, right? But these are things that we have to grapple with, and these are things that we have to ask ourselves, what is really going on in my heart? What am I really holding on to? What is the Holy Spirit really asking me to drop? And I have to emphasize this, and I know it sounds cliche, but literally, there is no judgment here. None. No judgment from me. No judgment from our church leaders. No judgment from Jesus, obviously, right? But there's no judgment here, man. I, I have made my mistakes, okay? Like I said, I've, I've struggled with addiction before, right? I've struggled with lust. I've struggled with pornography, even in the context of marriage. I've had my struggles, but one thing that I know is when I've ran to Jesus, I have found strength. When I've ran to Jesus, I have found forgiveness. When I've ran to Jesus and let go, I've found the healing and the freedom that I need for those situations. And so, some of you guys know my story. I'm not, I'm not going to share it all. Maybe if you invite me over for lunch, I'd love to eat. You know what I'm saying? I can tell you the whole story. <laughs> but some of you guys know my story. So when I was 19, my dad actually cast the demons out of me. Right? So when I read Mark chapter 5, it's, like, it's, it's pretty, pretty intimate for me because I, I remember right there in my kitchen, in my kitchen floor, my dad was casting demons out of me. He was praying for me. My, next thing you know, my hands were shaking like this. My feet were stomping uncontrollably. I started to let out these roars like this, and then I realized what was going on because when I was 13 years old, I saw it take place at my church. I saw somebody get demons cast out. So while this was happening to me, I just called out to Jesus. I said, Jesus, come save me. Jesus, come save me. Jesus, come save me. And then that thing came out with a deep roar, right? But what's crazy is as powerful as that moment was, right, I was a popular dude in high school. I had a reputation, star football player, captain of this, da-da-da-da, party animal, center of attention, life of the party. I, I had like what people would say was clout, street cred, all that stuff. And because I cared so much about people's perception of me and that identity that I was building up in the world, guess what? I ran back to drugs. 
I ran back to sex. I ran back to party because even though I had one of the most powerful moments of my life, I could not let go of my identity, just like Jairus. That same tension. And for some of us, we have things that we don't even know what's on the other side if we would just let go. My life, and this is not to boast and brag, but my life is blessed, and I'm so thankful to God, and I cry at times because I think of if I did not let go and I was still holding on to some of those things I used to hold on to, I don't even want to think about the mess I'd be in. But running to Jesus, I have found freedom, I have found healing, and I have found deliverance, and I have found life with substance. So I want to leave us with this. What you believe about Jesus shows in how you approach Jesus. So when we leave this place, how are we going to approach the throne of Jesus? Do we believe he can heal, you, heal us? Do you believe he can set you free? Do you believe that there's freedom in a relationship with Jesus? And if we approach him in that place of humility and vulnerability, he will stand on his word if we let go. So if you're, if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, you probably remember when you first got saved, and it was all things Jesus. It was like you was wearing the name tag, Team Jesus. Eh. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And you were just running, right? And then somewhere along the way, that humility, that vulnerability kind of started to fade. You got a little self-sufficient. Reading the Bible is like, eh, okay, I'll get five minutes here, ten minutes there. Or maybe you go a whole week and you haven't picked up the scriptures though. Well, if, if, if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, I want you to go back to when you first believed and ask yourself, what if I lived like that every day? What if my dependency on God and my humility before his throne was like that every single day? What could my life look like? What could my family look like? How could God use me? And if you're here today and you would say, man, like, I'm not even a believer right now. I'm still kind of checking out this whole faith thing. I'm still kind of skeptical. I I want you to ask yourself, what if the freedom that I've been looking for is on the other fulfillment and the security in who I am as a person is on the other side of me letting go and saying yes to Jesus? What if, right? We'll never know until we let go and release and start running. Um, so with all heads bowed, uh, I want to I pray for us, and I want to ask us just a couple questions. If you, if you feel like you've lost that zeal, then, then this prayer is for you. Father, I pray right now for your Holy Spirit to ignite a fire inside of our hearts like never before to run after you unashamed with all freedom in our heart, without caring what people think, without being afraid of changing up things that might give us a different perception or identity, but letting go and running after you ever. Strengthen us in that area. And if today you feel a tug on your heart to accept Jesus, then I want you to repeat this prayer after me. This is for you. God, I agree that I am a sinner who has sinned against you. I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins 
So Jesus, please forgive me of my past. Please come into my heart and please continue to open my eyes that I can see the truth about who you are. We love you, Jesus, and we need you. Help us to see that. In your precious name we pray, amen.